Hello and welcome to Wonderful. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. Wonderful is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even, you'll find inspiration is actually everywhere. But if you've got a bit of time, and let's face it, we've all got a bit of time, let's boot up and head out into the street. Well, welcome to Back to Wonderful, wanderers, wanderistas, wanderellas and wanderfellas. Wanderers everywhere. Welcome, you can't see me as I wander, uh, but I am here, I can assure you. And if you could see me, you would probably notice that a smile is playing around my lips. I'm smiling. I know I'm British, but I'm still smiling in public and, 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 and in, a, in, a, in an unbridled way. And the reason is I've just been sitting to my daughter, the lovely Elsa, who is started... She's moved to Copenhagen, where she's studying for the year. So I was very happy to talk to her. Uh, but the, the reason I was smiling was because I asked her what was the difference between the streets. She's, a, she's, a, she's an arch street wisdom addict. And uh, I asked her what's the difference between the streets in Copenhagen and the streets uh, in London, for example. And she said, well, it's interesting. She said, uh, she's only been there a few days, but she's noticed there's less uh, litter. Or, there's no litter, she said. And she also said there's, there's no, she's seen no rough sleepers. I went, oh, she said, and there's a reason for this. I said, what's that? He said, well... Someone had the bright idea of, of paying rough sleepers to pick up the rubbish. <laughs> so they're not sleeping rough and there isn't any rubbish. And it made me smile because it's a brilliantly simple idea. Someone had that idea um, and, they, and they got on and did it. And, and I'm thinking, why didn't I have that idea? You know those simple ideas that you think, boy, I wish I'd had that idea. Well, that is precisely the person I want to introduce you to on this episode, this Wonder of Wonderful, who is Ollie Barrett. Ollie Barrett is a friend of mine, and he is a uh, he is one of those people who several times already in his career has had a brilliantly simple idea and made it happen. If you look him uphill, it says he's a connector, presenter, and co-creator. He talks in this interview about how he's not a founder, he's a co-founder and how co-founding is really the sweet spot for him. He talks about uh, he talks about why he's happy not to be mentioned in the press when someone's talking about a company that he's co-founded. How he used to be, but now uh, he isn't, although his mother gets annoyed. Um, he talks about... He's one of these people who... I mean, he's known as a great networker, but I think that does him an injustice. He's just somebody who connects great people around him you go to his parties you go to his he's just got an informal club and you know that everyone you meet is going to be interesting he's just got that connector talent he loves to connect people with people people with ideas um, and he's a great at talking to strangers so I ask him a bit about how we do that better um, and then and then he also talks about seizing the day you know he's the sort of person that that, that is just He's just annoyingly upbeat. He assures us that's not always the case, but yeah, I've, whenever I see, at least I feel upbeat. And we talk about the importance of seizing the day, including if you're going to seize it 
and do nothing with it other than lie in a hammock. There's power in seizing the day and doing nothing with it. Without further ado, Wanderistas, whack in those uh, earphones and enjoy wandering in the company of the glorious Ollie Barrett. Tenor I started as a bit of an experiment. Um, could we give 10,000 school kids a £10 note and they'd have a month to see what they could do to turn it into, to make money, to make a difference? And all these years later, it's still going. Over a quarter of a million kids have done it, but it's also spawned, as it says, a sort of little sibling in Fiverr. Um, no, that's not how you spawn things, but you know what I mean. Um, and, um, you know, over a quarter of a million kids have done Fiverr as well. So, yeah, it's just a simple schools entrepreneurship challenge. But I had, I had my reasons for starting it, as you can imagine. Tell us about those reasons. Oh, um, well, very simply, and we might we might explore this when we get going, but I had gone into some schools um, to give a talk about business, entrepreneurship, and, <clears throat> you know, everything about those experiences, even though the children were fantastic and the teachers gave me a warm welcome, was shouting at me, um, this isn't the way to um, bring them to life. This isn't the way to supercharge them. It was a bit like, you know... Duncan Goodhue coming in to inspire kids about swimming by giving a PowerPoint about the pool. <laughs> <laughs> and you just think, couldn't you take him swimming, Duncan? Um, and um, yeah, so it, um, yeah, I just thought, could we design an experience, something they could really do that would be fun, that would have enough rules to be challenging, but not so many to be boring? I think that's really um that's very wise of you. I've done a little bit of digging in sort of game theory and the idea of having a few sticky rules that are, that are simple to follow um, um, is, is clearly the, uh, the heart of a good game. Where do you get ideas like, and, you know, the, the, the tenor and the fiver? I mean, because you've just done it again with, with turning on the subtitles. You, mm. you, you seem to be somebody who's able to take a big idea and, and sort of distill it into something beautifully simple that people can remember. I think that's one of your real skills. But what's the process? How do you, is there a process? <laughs> Just wake up thinking that. Well, who, who is that great ad man? His name is escaping me. This is terrible. But who, um, you know, who wrote the book, David Ogilvy. Yeah. And he said, um, he said the greatest ideas, you know, um, you know, come as laughs, basically, you know, so, um, you know, so, so make your thinking as funny as possible. Um, and and so, so, so very often I'll stumble across something just because it makes me chuckle and then I'll socialise it. And this isn't to sound terribly flippant about everything I've ever done, but very often I will want to sort of push something mischievously. So, you know, when we got tenor going, um, you know, yes, giving a single child um, a £10 note and saying, go on, see what you can turn it into. That's interesting. But telling them that you don't want it back, potentially, uh, or, or, or if they lost it, let's put it that way, that would be all right. That, 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 that's interesting. Giving 10,000 kids a tenor, to me, that, that's suddenly quite funny. And, and, and I don't mean let's roll around laughing, but it, it sparks the brain in a way that yes. the simple version doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's right. So it's simple, but at scale. It's kind of, there's something audacious about it. Audacity, audacity, definitely. Um, the, the other bit, um, sorry, just to, and then we'll, we'll unpack it, but most of the things I've started or helped start have come through experiencing or particularly reading about a problem. 
Um, so, you know, youth clubs are falling down all around the country and closing down sometimes because they only had a leaky roof. Well, what if we gave the kids the tools to fix the roof in their own club? Fast forward, volunteer it yourself, VIY in hundreds of locations. Yeah, so, so, so reading about that problem, tenor, going into a school, realising that giving a talk probably wasn't the best way to inspire kids um, to have ideas and make them happen. And, and that sort of read about a problem, join some dots has, has been a bit of a theme. Yeah, it has. Knowing you as I have over the last decades, you'll suddenly get an email from Ollie saying, well, what do you think about this? And very often it will make you smile and go, I mean, the subtitle one is another genius idea. Tell us about that. We'll turn on the subtitles, tots, again, tots for me. That became funny because we called it tots, turn on the subtitles, because it's for kids. It's to help kids read. And I know that might sound ridiculous, just, well, tots doesn't make it any better, but in a way, it makes it catchier. And if you haven't got any marketing budget, you better make it catchy um, <laughs> so that people can tell people. Um, so again, and here's another theme, not my original idea. You know, tenor, I borrowed off a vicar in Suffolk who gave me permission because he'd been doing it and he said other vicars have been doing it for hundreds of years. TOTS is all about the power of same language subtitles, so English on English telly, French on French telly, because if you put subtitles on kids' TV, you double the chances of them becoming a proficient reader. Wow. And th th that, that absolutely, and I must confess, I read it in a tiny article um, in a British newspaper, got Googling, led me to a TED talk by Dr. or um, Professor Bridge Katari at Planet Read in India. And he'd been researching this for a decade or more and um, gathered lots of research. And, and, and with all huge respect to Bridge, who was trying to nudge the Indian government, which he has done, um, I thought, well, in one universe, that stays as a wow TED talk. And if you're lucky, some of the viewers put it on for their kids. But because I'd also read a book, Nudge, which was about, you know, behavioural economics, how the setup can make a big difference. And there's a whole chapter on default settings, which sounds horrifically boring. But what it means is just think about whether that switch is on or off at the start, because that could make all the difference. So the punchline was, if I can convince the broadcasters and tech companies, if we can convince them to stick subtitles on as the default, that could make all the difference. And that's why, um, that's why we started TOTS. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think a lot of people read something in the paper about a problem and, and then complain about it or <laughs> stay on the sofa and moan about the world or say something should be done. But there's something in you, Ollie, where you think, hey, hang on, we could do something about this. If we'd met the 15-year-old Ollie Barrett, is it the same sort of chap or is this something you've learned in you know in in more recent years have you always been a kind of there's something a little bit and i say let's <laughs> say this with a huge respect there's something a, you're like the character in the famous five books that goes come on we can take the pirate tower and or we can we can Who's save me dog <laughs> i think it might be yes but in the best way possible you've got this sort of get up and go uh, have you always been this way um no, I didn't. I don't think so. I mean, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. You know, there are days when you know th those ideas, and most of those ideas, of course, do stay. Um, you know, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly where they are. I think that there were a few things. You know, when, when I was a kid, I sort of had this recurring dream that. <clears throat> 
I was sort of in the back seat of a car and it was going downhill and it was careering away and there was nothing I could do. And I think that's the sort of thing that frightens me more than anything, not being in the driving seat of my own life, not being able to do anything about it. And I think there was a time also in my childhood when I realised I could have agency, if you want to put it in um, sort of more glamorous terms, could, yeah. could could make a difference myself. And when I started my own, you know, first exploits and endeavours, I mean, goodness me, even <laughs> even age, you know, before the age of, you know, probably about nine or 10, I was helping produce the school play. Ridiculous, really, when you think about it. Um, but, but, but the point was, I was allowed to be behind the scenes bringing ingredients together. And that's what I absolutely loved. So um, I also think it helped that although I did bits of work experience and internships at kids TV companies and Disney World and things like that, um, I, I was able to help start things without always thinking immediately, well, how's this going to make money then? You know, how am I going to earn money from this? Not because I didn't need money. I've always had to make my own money, but I haven't always had to spend all of my time making my own money. So I've always had that freedom um, to make those discretionary efforts. Um, so I think that, the, that there's a lot of that. But I, I think I was allowed through various different experiences to produce things, to make things, to create things. And I think that if you look at the big funnel, um, being able to conduct lots of little experiments is a brilliant grounding for getting bigger things going because it gives you that sense of, oh, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, does it? We had a go. So sort of start off off Broadway, if you like, test it. And if it doesn't, <laughs> if, if the show dies, no one you, no one knows about it. What was the show you were producing when you were 10? <laughs> uh, that was Wind in the Willows. Yeah, that's right. With Ratty and Moly, still one of my favourite books. But And it's interesting that because my sense of you is somebody that, that um, you effort, effortlessly get other people into ensemble, into action around you. Um, though you've got a very, you know, you've got a, you've definitely, you know, huge charisma, but you don't strike me as somebody that's me, me, me at all. It's very, very much us, us, us. Is that right? Do you, do, do you, do, do you, you enjoy bringing people together? I, I, I absolutely love bringing people together, but I, I absolutely don't, I, I don't think the image these days of me bringing that team and I'm at the centre of it is, is, is correct at all. I mean, I, I like to think that when I produced a show, at university, which led to my first business alongside the director. That that was more of an image which I felt might have applied then. Um, now, what I'm looking for is those lead characters, those those co-founders, like Henry Warren um, for Tots, turn on the subtitles, who grips it, who runs it, who's the force with Nina and the team. Like, you know, Tim Redding and Ed Selwood and VIY. You know, if you know, if you didn't have an Ed to, you know, do the operations and make it happen, VIY would still be you know, a sort of big piece of paper in the shed, basically, you know. Um, and, and again, I don't even claim credit for designing it and coming up with it. I just think I enjoy helping to galvanise things, to oh. say, this is a problem, here's a sense of the possibility. And, and I don't even necessarily mean to inspire people because I think that, you know, that they're very often hugely inspiring characters themselves. I just think that that art of, or that process of connecting ideas and people you create conditions for people to inspire each other, which means that quietly and respectfully, you can slip away and step back and enable them, which is hopefully what they do, to get on with it. And do you get joy when you are sort of stepping back into the shadows, looking in and seeing what's what's happened? 
Com- completely, because um, <clears throat> and funny enough, Charles Sartre's, um once wrote, um, you know, you, you shouldn't try too hard to become irreplaceable because somebody irreplaceable can't be promoted. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was quite a good thought, actually, because mm-hmm. I think other parts of me would have thought, well, irreplaceable's good, isn't it? Because then they can't get rid of me, can they? Um, and so I had quite a phase, um, this is a confession, where if, I don't know, Startup Britain or Web Mission or something I'd helped start was in the paper, for example, or Tenor would be a good example, um, I'd be quite offended, probably on my mother's behalf, no, it was me being offended, um, that they hadn't mentioned me. And I thought, well, I, I helped come up with this. Um I have completely the opposite view now, and I have done for about the last 10 years, which is if something I've been involved in in any way gets mentioned publicly and I'm not mentioned, I take it as a huge compliment because it mm. gives me that sense that it really could carry on without me. Mm. And that that is genuinely the most uplifting feeling in the world. If I go under the number 10 bus tomorrow, that thing could continue. And that is genuinely, I think that's amazing. No, it's a beautiful thing, yeah. For the listeners out there, you may not know that there is a there's a strange sort of I'm not sure if it's a job, but it's a kind of a, a sort of a hybrid role that has appeared over the last few years of I don't know what we would call it, but the corporate MC maybe or the animator, the meeting animator, the experience engineer, what you may call it. But both um, both Ollie and I find ourselves being in that role, and and. Consequently, we don't see each other as much as we would otherwise because we're always, well, un- under normal circumstances, we're off gigging, leading events. Tell, tell me, what do you love about doing that? What is it? What is that job as far as you're concerned? Um, <clears throat> what do you love about it and how come you're doing it? Um, well, I <laughs> how come I'm doing it? That's a very good question. Two real reasons. When I was between universities, so to speak, some people are between jobs. I was between universities. I dropped out of one. And um, spoiler alert, I was about to drop out of another, but there you go. Um, and I went off to Butlins, the holiday camp in uh, Great Britain, and I was a red coat. And, <laughs> and one of the opportunities that, uh, you know, the, the doors that swang open for me at Butlins was to be a compare up on the stage every night. Not a very good one. Uh, some things haven't changed. And um, in front of two and a half thousand people in the Broadway show bar. And by the way, I was also, um, you, know, you, know, being, you know, doing the football and the basketball with the you know, the kids and the families every day and so on. Um, and anyway, it just gave me this experience of whether you call it public speaking, getting a room going, all of that. And by the way, did I get the room of two and a half thousand people going? Absolutely not. I was just putting it out there into the darkness. <laughs> I had no clue uh, <laughs> what I was doing. This is sounding dangerously familiar. Now, um, <clears throat> that gave me a taste of it, a whiff of it. But then, um, because I always started my own things, um, you know, if you can't stand up and say a few words, welcome people, make people feel comfortable at the start of your own thing, when can you? Um, so that gave me that sort of series of baptisms, if you like, doing it. Um, I now am lucky enough to host all sorts of things, whether it's the Great British Entrepreneur Awards, it could be a, you know, a flagship event, <clears throat> excuse me, with a government department, it could be, um, you know, in tech or education. So so I can be the chair, the compare, the presenter, but, but secretly, the, the, there are, there are, the, what I love about it, amazing people you get to meet, you know, in the green room, in the audience. What a what an absolute treat. You know, the producers have handpicked the contributors and you get to meet them on the day it 
almost feels like as, as equals, as peers. And mm. that's amazing. That mm. is amazing. The second thing is breadth of subject. You know, mm-hmm. I interviewed two weeks ago a world-leading neurologist. Mm-hmm. Um, two days ago, uh, I interviewed, um, oh gosh, some of the founders of the most interesting technology companies in Europe. You know, I mean, it's just amazing. So the, 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 that's um, that's the second thing in terms of, you know, just breadth of subject. And then I, I do like the fact that, and, and again, I contradict myself, David, because I also find it frustrating but I like the fact that certain things have a clear beginning and a clear end, a clear wrap up and a clear impact on the day. So, so there's something about me that likes that as a string to my bow. And then and then tiny bit of detail. I know we've not got time, but tiny detail. I enjoy the process when I'm on stage. I don't like being on stage per se. Um, liar, he heckles. Um, <laughs> I, um, but I do like the process of making someone feel comfortable that otherwise wouldn't have feel, felt comfortable. And in that process, getting something from them that almost surprises them. Uh, yeah, so sort of creating some intimacy and some honesty, authenticity, even in the very artificial surroundings that we find ourselves in. Yeah. I've seen you do that and you do it do it beautifully well. You are um we were talking about this before, but you're a I mean, if anyone was a people person, it's you. And in the best way possible. I mean, people talk about people who are networkers. It makes my skin crawl a bit because it seems uh to be honest, quite self-serving. But with you and with you know Ollie's club and so on and so forth, one thing we know is if we're invited along to some sort of crowded room in Soho, whatever. It doesn't matter who you speak, bump into, you're going to have an interesting conversation because they've all sort of passed the the Ollie test. I mean, is there, by the way, before I ask the question I was going to ask, is there an Ollie test? Do you have a sort of some golden rules about who you like to have in, in your, how can I put it? I suppose in your network. Oh, well... My instinct was, well, I hope there is. And then my other instinct was, well, I hope there's not. Because, <laughs> you know, why am I grad judging people about whether they can enter? I mean, one of my one of my um, flaws is I do gravitate towards people I like. And I, I find it hard to keep in touch with people I don't like. So surely that's a bit simple, isn't it? Because you're probably cutting off all these genius, unlikable, thoroughly good people. Um, but but just because, don't get me wrong, I don't surround myself with, um, you know, totally sim- similar characters, I think. By the way, some of those gatherings have got so much better in the last, um, I don't know how many years, when I applied the plus one rule, which, um, which you would have seen, um, which is bring along someone totally different to you. And there I'm nudging at bringing a different generation, a different yeah, background, yeah, different... Yeah. And, and, and people take real pride in that. They go, this is my friend Anna. She's a detective or you know, <laughs> yeah. a dentist. And you think, this is great. Um, so, I, so I like that variety. I struggle with, um, I don't mind skeptics. I struggle with cynics. Yeah. Um, I can't stand any form of rudeness. Not to me, because I can handle that, I think. Yeah. Um, liar. And um, I struggle with rudeness to anyone else. So if I, yeah. so I really, really struggle with that um, in, 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 a, in a social setting. And if, and, and again, I need to work on this, don't I? Because I just think if people are quite, generally quite world weary, um, I've, I've changed my mind on that, actually. Now I say that out loud, then then they should come too. That's fine. But I think pre-pandemic, that would have wound me up. 
Whereas now I just have this phrase that haunts me every day. And I've just had it again this morning where, you know, um, I've tracked it down. I think it was a, a, a vicar from Scotland, like Ian McLaurin, I think, who said, you know, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle you know nothing about. Tell me about meandering, because you, you mentioned earlier on that you you do like something with a beginning, middle, and end. And I like you, like you, I'm like that. I've got, under certain circumstances, I'm quite an autocratic process person, even though it looks very free and easy. But if I'm running and leading something, I've got a kind of pilot's eye on the clock and the fuel all the time. Mm. Um but I also, in the most of my life, I massively like the meander. I sort of trust the, if you open yourself up and you wander a bit, interesting things will happen. Tell me about that. Do you like to physically meander? Do you, do you walk a lot? Do you, ha, have you, to tell, to tell us about that. Let's picture the meandering Ollie. <laughs> well, without quoting that song, they call me a wanderer. Um, they, but there's a different meaning to that, I, bet, I gather. Um, <laughs> I, I love to walk. Yeah, it's well, yeah, all, every, every single day. You know, you know, at least once, often twice a day. And then, you know, you know, I, I, I come into um, you know London and um, other other places occasionally when um, when when I will try then to keep walking. Yeah, it's where I have my it's where I have my best ideas. It's where I have some of my some of my best phone calls. Um, to to take that idea sort of um, more broadly though, yeah, I love the idea. You know, there's a brilliant line by Theodore Zeldin, Professor Theodore Zeldin at Oxford University. He said, life is a search for people. And uh, yeah, yeah. it's one of my favourite lines in the world because uh, I agree with that. So, um, and I think if you're in too much of a hurry all the time, um, you won't bump into people. Well, also, if you're checking your phone too often, you will bump into people. But that's a different thing. <laughs> I, I, I think, so, so, so I think life as a search for people is, is a beautiful thought. So in that sense, you know, I, I'm meandering. Also, to get terribly um, serious for a second, I think that to solve some of the biggest problems in the world, you have to join unusual forces together. You have to make unlikely alliances, unusual connections. And that's yeah. why um, the cross-pollination is really close to my heart. That idea that you might see an idea from the travel sector, which works for someone in fashion, which helps somebody with their sustainable cup business. And before you know it, they're all meeting and sharing ideas and so on. So, so, so I think the cross-pollination sort of fuels this idea of meandering and certainly wandering for me. Um, also, uh, you know, I do like the idea that w with the beginning and end in the, in, the, in the middle ground, you've got things like series, haven't you? You know, you know, you hold up something like the office as a thing of some word as a thing of beauty because it had that beginning, middle and end. Um, some of the great works of art and so on. So <laughs> um, whereas in company land, you wouldn't dare to plot the end of your organisation, would you? That would be heresy, yeah. Yeah. Um, even though you might talk about glamorous exits and sitting on beaches and things. So, so um, you know, all you know, life has an end, doesn't it? All the, you know, all things die, and so it. Um, and, and yet, it seems slightly strange that we plan some things never to die. You know, that would be the worst possible thing yeah. that could happen. So, I think there there can be, and with hindsight, maybe. If we'd have started um, to go back to the ground quite quickly with Startup Britain, which we did, um, you know, 10 years ago with number 10, maybe that would have had even more zest and verve if we'd have said, you know what, this is a three year campaign. You yeah. heard us say it. Let's do it. Yeah. It's a really interesting point. I often talk to people 
in a sort of jokey light way about how long they think they've got. You yeah. know, you have to be careful that you do that. But because if you, you know, one of the things I've noticed is if you if you think you'll live forever, you do give yourself time to moan. Whereas if you remember that it's finite, you might make a little bit more use of the day. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. that, that, that notion, we don't talk about the end of things, um, in some ways is a little bit debilitating. Well, we, we've had two um, people, not close friends, but close to close friends, yeah. um, die in the past two weeks. Both of them, or last month, um, both of them shockingly, suddenly, and without explanation. And there are so many awful things that have happened in this year where if you wanted, you could have a lesson that you took, which might sound terribly trite, but you might say, well, that'll encourage us all. You know, my, my late grandfather died in his 60s. Could he have had a longer life had he been fitter? Maybe. I don't know. But at least there might be a lesson there for my dad to say, mm. well, get out running. And he's still running in his 70s. Um, with these two recently, there was no explanation. And so, mm. again, the only lesson you can take there is seize the day. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe, maybe, I don't know what you would make of it, but... And, and to say nothing of what you then say to the to the dear um, you know loved ones of the departed, but you know you know if that is the only lesson, then then maybe maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's all we have. I think it's no, it's a really it's it's a good point to ponder. And 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 what you made me think suddenly is very often when people say seize the day, carpe diem, it seems to be a call to action. But I wonder also whether carpe diem could mean have a day of inaction, have a day of restoration, as you said. You know, take this is one of the things we find with street wisdom is encouraging people to give themselves permission to to be purposefully purposeless. Yes. Rather than fill your day with time. And I think maybe that's something both you and I have actually have actually learned the pandemic, you know, what the pandemic taught us, maybe, is there is there is there's sort of agency in in the soak time, in the in the wandering, especially as we we plug a lot into people, and we are very often, if you like, the the um, the catalyst for large groups yes. of people, and so on and so forth. You know, being restored is a super super important aspect of the work. Yeah, and and hearing you say it back to me then makes me want to genuinely wants me to makes me want to fling open the double doors of my uh, garden office and 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 seize the day, but in in a totally different way because seize the day doesn't mean seize the pen or seize the mouse or the hammer. It doesn't mean seize anything literally. It just means embrace. embrace the world doesn't it yeah, yeah and frankly if that means looking up to the sky <laughs> whether yeah. it's cloudy or sunny and looking across to the tree um then that is seizing the day in a, in a way it's 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 waking up to the day isn't it yeah i mean we could go on i i, I mean i wanted to talk to you about strangers and yeah how people can very often street wisdom, on street wisdom, people bump into strangers, as you said earlier on, yeah. and that stranger turns out to be the perfect person for them to talk to. They have an answer yeah. to their question, you know, and we often say, you know, answers are everywhere, so are teachers. Yeah. Perhaps in, 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 in closing, have you got any 
tips for lessening the distance or the the, the froideur, the, the kind of the awkwardness between between strangers? Is there somewhere we can get to know other people easier? You've made me think about that word, David. Because what what do you think it means? Stranger than what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stranger than you. Yes. Yes. If possible. <laughs> well, that's that's one good thing, isn't it? Thinking no one's stranger than me, so that gets us off to a good start, and that that'll that'll comfort you. Um, I am I'm a bit worried about that word strangers because, of course, we teach all kids, don't we, that strangers are dangerous. Um, mm. to um to you know to keep them safe and quite and, and quite right too. But there's never the reveal. There's never the there's never the Oz moment. There's never the dare I say. Yeah. Tooth fairy moment where you, you you let them in on the secret, saying, "Okay, we we had to say that to keep you safe." But but the truth is, strangers aren't dangerous, and strangers are, um, you know, in the vast vast majority, uh, you know, fellow travellers on this earth, and, um, and and actually very friendly, and uh, and, and just just be be conscious of that. And anyway, I, I think of that all the time as a dad. How do you navigate that line between wariness and friendliness? You know, anyway, that, that that's one for our listeners uh, to ponder. Um, I think um, that that sense of fellow traveller, um, you know, is it back to my Disney days? Is it the smile, not the cheesy smile, but just the you know the the, the friendly smile? Um, is it remarking upon something that isn't that person? Um, as in, and I'm not just talking about small talk here, but is it um, you know whether it's you know this bus is always late or I, I've never noticed what a beautiful view that was through this window before. So yeah. is is there a way you could stand shoulder to shoulder with someone and look out at something um, before you start asking them questions? Yes. On a terribly practical note in business, avoid like the plague the question, "What do you do?" Yeah. Um, if someone's uh, not lucky enough to enjoy their work, you've made them feel uncomfortable already. Yeah. Um, by making them talk about it it can seem a bit like you're about to judge them based on their job title but most of all you're about to throw yourself into a cul-de-sac of their occupation yeah 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 yeah. And you don't want their occupation to occupy your whole conversation so i have a secret trick that i don't want to know what anybody does for a living for as long as possible because that enables me to imagine that they're a you know a, you know a street cleaner or a prints or anything i just think that that's that's just a far better way to get to know somebody isn't it and then they will give you the clues if they want to and if they want to remain enigmatic and mysterious well those can be the best conversations of all oh so much in what ollie had to say so many great ideas i feel i might have to lie down but before i do that fellow walker fellow meanderers um in the best traditions of wonderful, what I'm going to suggest that we, is that we take a snippet, a fragment of an idea that Ollie shared with us and turn it into an experience that we can have together. And the little shard of wonderfulness that popped out for me of all the many things that Ollie said was that quote of David Ogilvy's, which is something like, all great ideas begin with a joke. Uh, I, I think he said, so make your thinking as funny as possible. Now that may seem um, a stretch, but believe me, uh, with a bit of practice, uh, you can see the funny side in almost everything. So what I'm going to suggest we do over the next 10 minutes is that we see the funny side. And the, in, the, the idea behind this is, is if you remember, you know, there is a link between lightness and creativity, is a link between an idea that you just initially think, oh, well, that's ridiculous. 
that actually can turn into an amazing uh, innovation. So while we're doing this, we're not only spreading a bit of humour around the world, we're also working our creative muscle. So how's, here's how we're going to do this. In a minute, I'm going to ask us uh, to, both, to, to, to all of us walk off, keep walking. And as you walk, I want you to see the funny side. There are three ways I suggest you do this. The first is smile. <laughs> it's quite funny, but if you pull your facial muscles into a smile, your neurology, it kind of tricks your neurology into feeling better. Yes, we, we all know that. Look at, look, at, look at statues of the Buddha, how often there's a little smile playing around the Buddha or the Bodhisattva's lips. In fact, if you take a breath in with a slight smile around the lips, it lifts your spirits. You try it. So as, as you're walking and smiling at the, uh, at the corner of your lips and who, in your eyes, and who knows, you might get a smile back, practicing the funny side of things. And just a way to do that, the way I find that works, is to imagine you're not from around here. You might be a stranger to this part of the world. You might even be a stranger to this planet. Think of all of those comedies, those fish-out-of-water comedies where somebody gets thrown into a situation they it's very unfamiliar for them and they find many, many things puzzling. And puzzlement often leads to laughter. So as we walk, we're just, for the next 10 minutes, we're going to look out at eyes that are glistening with inner humour. We're going to smile with slightly turned, little upturn at the edge of the lips, breathing nicely. And we're going to allow ourselves to see the funny side. So I'm seeing the funny side. That runner's knees are downright hilarious. The funny side of the stinging nettles. That would be the side without the stingy bit on them. <laughs> I am actually seeing the funny side. One thing that you would find, find, find amusing, friends, listeners, is the look that um, Andrew, who's on my iPhone currently, is looking at me because I keep hitting the wrong buttons. <laughs> He's not amused. Well, he is. He's amused in a kind of unamused way. So um, I hope you enjoyed that little walk. Um, I certainly did. I've just uh, come back. The last thing that happened was a, it was a dog looking at me. Um, and he was clearly amused, dog humour. He thought I was hilarious. But the main thing for me on the walk, and it kept me chuckling, was, was, was walkers. The act of walking. Um, noble and beautiful though the uh, human being is, there's something about the sight of human beings um, tottering along, Effect effectively um, you know, resisting gravity's... Uh, intention to pull them to the earth sort of tottering from foot to foot which is um is funny there's <laughs> something just funny about it and um and i'm going to keep my voice down here but shorts are funny men in shorts uh, they're very funny now the fact that i'm w wearing some of course mine aren't but other people's are uh i feel better for that i hope i hope you do as well it was uh, just the choice to see the funny side in the world um, 
is uh, is good. It's ennobling, and and I and I want to uh, want to thank you for your companionship, and I want to thank Ollie for seeding that idea, and indeed spending time uh, and his energy and his goodwill with us on this podcast. Uh, I salute you, Ollie. We all do, uh, not just for human being you are, but also the work you do in the world. And if anyone out there is interested in Tots, which he mentioned, that his project, his current project, turn on the subtitles, uh, you'll find it online. Um, and and if you've got a young person, a small human in your house, well then, turn on the subtitles and spread a bit of literacy, as well as a bit of humour. Um, I think that's probably it. We're getting to the end of our wander today. I'm looking forward to seeing you again um, for some more inspiration on the go. So keep your eye on um, keep your eye on the podcast for the next episode. And um, till then, keep it wonderful. Let's have a wonderful time. See ya. You can find out more about these mindful walking techniques at streetwisdom.org, a global non-profit founded by David Pearl. Street Wisdom is an everyday creative practice you use as you walk to help you unblock your mind to find clarity and inspiration. Why not follow us at streetwisdom underscore for free guided in-person and online workshops. You got it. Walking workshops. You can also download our audio guides on Spotify. Just search for Street Wisdom. Happy wandering.